0: You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop, Onyx offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit OnexMaps.com, or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N, NATION, followed by the number 20. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this is brought to you, this whole thing is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today, I've been trying to set this interview up for I feel like two months just to catch up with a guy. Uh, Josh Honeycut from RealTree. He writes. He does videos. He does digital content. He's kind of one of those guys who has got his fingers in a little bit of everything. And he is on the podcast today to talk about shed hunting, turkey hunting, and a little bit about mushrooms and a little bit about fishing. I think. And uh, you gotta wait till the very end of the episode to hear a story about dog poop so (laughs) i uh i I strongly recommend listening to the entire episode if not just to catch the story at the end it's hilarious but a lot of good conversation in this podcast like we do every single episode, and I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I know right now is a really hard time in the United States trying to stay put, trying to uh, think about your family, trying to take on a little extra responsibility by uh, social distancing or staying at home or or doing your part, but there are tons of things that you can do, and I'm kind of going to give you guys a task. I need one favor. I want you guys to go to the 2% for Conservation Instagram page and just follow it. That's all I want you to do. Uh, They have somewhere around 6,500 followers right now. I'd really like them Uh, to get to 10,000 and when they get to 10,000 it opens up some functionality within uh, Instagram and then they can start doing some more things as far as promoting uh, conservation efforts and whatnot so please make sure you are following the 2% for Conservation Instagram and Facebook page all of their all their content really good. And uh, let's see what else. What else? Wash your hands uh, and all that good stuff. But before we get into today's episode about sheds and turkey, we're going to talk a little bit about Ozonics. Now, you know, obviously, Ozonics uh, has its place in the tree, and I've you guys have heard me talk about Ozonics quite a bit over the the past years in in regards to how much I actually like the product, how much I believe in O3. But with this craziness going on right now there are still some of us who are working right whether it's work gloves whether you're a doctor whether you are um i don't know you're you're at a grocery store working and you're you're still interacting with the public o3 kills bacteria and viruses and what makes o3 ozonics so it might be worth picking up an ozone unit you know, and Ozonics has them uh, and treating some of your clothes, uh, treating your gloves, treat, treating your work shoes, whatever, before you step into your house and before you go back out on the job, get that ozone. And I'm not trying to take advantage of a situation here. I'm just telling you that O3 kills viruses and bacteria. And it's just another way to say, stay safe in these crazy times, especially with this virus going around. Uh, I use it in the timber. I use it at home uh, when, when somebody makes the bathroom really stinky or, you know, the dog poops in the house or it's just, you know, maybe we've cooked something really potent. You know, I get everybody out of the house, we go on a walk, we run a couple cycles through the ozone unit in the house, and it clears things up. They do it in doctor's offices, they do it in dentist's office, and I'm pretty sure they do it in emergency rooms and, and places like that, and that sterilizes whatever, you know, the O3 sterilizes whatever it touches. So, just some information there. If you want to find out more information about Ozonics, visit OzonicsHunting.com, and uh, I you know, there's a, there's a discount code out there. I don't have it right in front of me right now. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's right here. Uh, Ozonics, NFC19, and if you purchase a HR300 or an HR230 or the new Orion, you get a free dry wash bag. The only thing you have to do is enter the discount code NFC19. There's that. Intro's done. Let's get into a little bit better of a topic here. Shed hunting and turkey hunting with my man Josh Honeycut from Realtree. I don't know how long <laughs> we have been trying to set this interview up. I feel like months have passed, and just the last thirty minutes trying to get your Skype connected to my Skype and get uh, find headphones and, and cancel out the noise and all that stuff. Finally. Here we are, Mr. Josh Honeycutt. How you doing, man?
1: Doing good. I think they've had to work harder to beat the coronavirus than we have, or we've had to work harder than they oh, have man. to beat the coronavirus to to get this thing going. But yeah, now we're 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 finally here.
0: There's uh, probably some people out there that you know those YouTube videos of like cats falling off furniture or uh, you know like people running into screen doors. That's kind of like what it what the last 30 minutes was like just complete and utter chaos.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would have been a good uh, podcast if, if, (laughs) if, you know, just, just following that stuff.
0: Right. All right. So we're going to talk about a little bit of everything today. We're going to talk about Turkey hunting, I think for the, for the most part. Uh, but, uh, news on the news front, it sounds like you're going to become a dad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Come, you know, August, be here soon
0: enough. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, uh, so you're, this is going to be your first kid, right? Yes, sir. Are you prepared? No, sir. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the evil laugh because I know what's coming. And uh, it is, uh, it's, it's complete chaos, but at the same time, uh, your first one, I look back at my first one and I used to complain about no sleep, but now my body is conditioned to not have any type of. I guess, response to lack of sleep and, you know, cause I, I have, I have three kids, but, uh, it is, it's a game changer on both the, uh, the, the, the life difficulty scale, but also on just like being no doubt straight up being a dad is awesome.
1: Well, that's, that's what everybody tells me and looking forward to it. And, uh, it'll be a, it'll be a fun experience for sure. Awesome. Learning so-
0: experience. Yeah, that's what it is. And you never stop learning, really. What's the uh, – has has your wife gone overboard with the decorations? Do you have a room already prepped out and decorated and crib and colors on the wall and all that stuff?
1: You know, it's not been that bad. It's not been that bad. Um, prepping for sure, getting ready, but uh, it's, it's actually been a pretty pleasant experience.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna, just going to put it out there for me it was not a pleasant experience (laughs) like my wife bought stuff like it was free it was uh it was crazy how how you know just like okay we gotta have this crib we gotta have this we gotta have this we gotta have this so she she spent more time into prepping that room than she did for our wedding which you know some people can get carried away on the wedding side of things but uh I don't know man I uh but now you know first kid uh do you have any expectations from, you know, you're an outdoor lover, right? You love to go hunting and fishing and do all these uh, outdoor-related activities. Do you, have you already had these visions in your head of what you're going to be doing with your kid when it comes?
1: Well, see, my wife and I, we have these arguments over whether she's going to be a girly girl or, you know, a tough one that, that goes and shoots deer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, behind the shoulder and turkeys in the face, but, uh, you know, uh, hopefully she you know, obviously she'll be who she wants to be Yeah. Uh, regardless, but, uh, you know, if she wants to be a hunter, then great. If she doesn't, that's fine too, but so, so uh, either way, have a girl. it'll be. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a little girl.
0: Awesome, little girl. man. Awesome. Crazy. Life is crazy. Um, so... I was flipping through your Instagram and I noticed that you ran into some sheds this year,
1: yeah, yeah, I had a decent shed year it uh, wasn't the greatest, but it wasn't
0: terrible either so where were you finding them all at in in Kentucky?
1: Yes, I, I shed hunted Kentucky. We haven't been able to get up to our Ohio farm uh, and shed hunt just because of the threat, potential threat of them shutting down interstates and state lines, uh, which hasn't happened yet. But uh, there was talk of it here in Kentucky anyway. Yeah. Um. So we haven't made it up to Ohio to shed hunt. Um, there's some public ground that I try to get up and hunt in Indiana ever two or three years i haven't been able to get up there the last few but uh uh, just because last fall i hunted kentucky missouri and and uh ohio generally i try to hunt three three states each year um but i haven't been able to get up to ohio to shed hunt but uh, hopefully we'll we'll get up there before turkey season starts
0: oh that's good uh so has it been one of those things where you've been finding them consistently or it looks to me like you had kind of an encounter like I did, where you just have a day where you just find a ton of them?
1: Yeah, you know, it came in spurts this year, especially. Generally, you know, usually it's pretty steady stream. This year it was different. Um, I think I shed hunted five farms and three of them. I didn't find any, and I found all of my sheds on the other two, which is kind of typical because the two that I found sheds on, are the two farms that's generally the best during the late season which you know you know late season good late season farms are generally good shed hunting farms so um you know that's it wasn't unexpected but it you know generally i usually find at least a handful two or three on every farm um and then i find quite a few on a couple Uh, but this year i just didn't find any on on two or three so but it was it was definitely a, a a learning experience you know and I learned a lot from this shed season or, or uh, you know, I, generally, you know, everybody talks about, it, you find all the sheds in the beds, find all the sheds in the bedding areas and, or at least the majority of them. And this year I did not find a single antler in a bedding area. Every single antler that I found this year was out in the open ag fields, food plots, fields, clover, uh, clover plots, uh, or in the, uh, the edges of staging areas and not on the bedding side of the staging areas, either it was on the food side of the staging areas. So right um uh, it, was, it was a different different year odd year for sure
0: um uh, well i tell you yeah. I would say that 90 percent of all the sheds that I've found have been in staging areas or on the food source themselves or you know sometimes they'll they'll eat a lot yeah. and then they'll go to a, a a nighttime bed or a feeding bed right off the food source uh you know sit mm-hmm. down chew their cud find them there but I guess I don't spend a ton of time anymore in the actual bedding areas looking for antlers. I mean, I've I've found a couple in areas like that. And, you know, one last year that I can remember actually in the bed, but that's it. Maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. And I've been shed hunting since like 2005. And yeah. mo- like I said, most of them are actually in the food sources. And this year, all of them were in, all of the ones that I found were in in the middle of this bean field tines up, you know, like just a ray of sunshine coming out of the clouds, hitting it, you know, like God was telling me, okay, you need to walk over here and pick. And I look over there and it's like, that's how easy it was this, this year. So. uh, Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's interesting too. I mean, it makes sense though, because you think about it this time of year, or at least when they're shedding, you know, days are short nights are longer. So they're spending more time out in the fields than they are. In 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 the, the betting areas. Plus, you know, they're more active out in the fields. They're you know throwing their heads up when a coyote runs by. You know, you know they're, they're just more active. There's more motion, so yeah. it, it makes sense that they're out in the open and uh, more so. And you know, I say it was a weird year. Um, you know, I still every year find the majority of my sheds out in the open, as you mentioned, but I still, I usually find at least a few in the bedding areas, but this year I didn't find a single one. So, uh, I I just don't subscribe to that idea that a lot of people talk about that you find all the beds, all the sheds in the beds. You know, I just, it's not been my experience, not to say that they're wrong, but that hasn't been my experience.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Uh, let's see here. Um, what about this? You have... know found these sheds have you ever found any sheds off of a buck that you eventually killed
1: um the big 2008 so it's a good story here um i think i did for one for sure um i found the shed off of i'm pretty sure the buck that i killed in kentucky in 2016 um I'm pretty sure I have uh his uh one of his sheds from the previous year the but the big deer that I killed in two thousand and eight the big wide velvet eight pointer which actually just ended up which i'm not you know i've it's this is the only deer I've entered in Pope and young uh, even though I've killed quite a few that I could have, uh, but the big velvet eight I killed here in Kentucky in 2000, I think it was 2018. He ended up scoring gross in, a, in the mid one sixties, but he, uh, uh I found, uh, I didn't find his shed from the previous year, but the neighbor did. He found it on his farm. And after I killed that deer, he ended up giving it to me because That's that awesome. deer, yeah, you know, classy, class act for sure and uh, something that i'll always do if uh if a neighbor kills a deer from a you know that i have a shed too but uh and I, i'd encourage a lot of people out there to do that if you have a neighbor that ends up killing a deer that you have a, a shed from a previous year definitely go hand it to them they'll, they'll appreciate that and uh, it'll be it'll be worth much more to them than it would be to you anyway so you know that's uh so I, I guess i've probably personally only found one um that i know for sure of now i pick up when i pick up sheds most the the vast majority of them are two-year-old sheds um yearling sheds i don't find a ton of you know mature sheds i only find probably you know seven or eight three and a half plus year old deer sheds each year um and some of them if i went back and actually looked at it i'd probably oh yeah that's that deer but uh, there's only one for sure of that i know of at least in the last five years
0: probably okay so and it was your neighbor who killed him and gave it to you mm-hmm. I yeah
1: you. Well, I, yeah yeah i killed the deer the neighbor had found the shed the previous uh winter, and
0: uh, he brought it to me and it was it was for sure the same deer though absolutely was, right. was no doubt so from a strategy standpoint do you do you make any decisions on how to hunt a specific buck based off of where you find their antlers
1: the only time i think it has holds much value I think there's a lot of value in shed hunting. I really do think there's plenty of value. Um, But I think from a a pure tactical standpoint, uh, I think the only time it truly matters is if you find it in the actual bed. Um, And, I mean, it's not really going to help you come early season or the rut. But I think shed hunting, especially if you find sheds in bedding areas, um, I think it does help tell you where you might find that deer the next year during the late season. Um, Especially if he spent the late season, if you had that deer on camera in that general vicinity uh, during the the late season, uh, you know, and you find his shed there too there's a decent chance that that deer is going to be having similar patterns the next year, as long as the habitat doesn't change, as long as um, the food sources don't change too much, you know, uh, farmers coming in and rotating crops and stuff like that. Um, I think there's some value there. I think more than anything, it just verifies that deer's still there, still alive. Um, You know, this year, Kentucky got hit with EHD, as did, you know, Iowa and other places. Uh, I think, you know, it, it helps you determine what deer made it through, because a lot of the times I make my moves, I make my plans during the off season. So, you know, I don't want to wait until June or July or August or September to start hanging stands and spots because at that point, uh, you know, I'm potentially bumping deer, especially for the early season because we open up early September here in Kentucky. So I like to have all of my early season and, and honestly, my pre-rut stands too uh, in place, if not for the entire season, uh, I like to get that done by May. So, you know, if I know a deer is for sure alive, which trail cameras won't always tell you, I've, I've, I thought the, I found a 64, 65 inch shed to a deer I call Acorn Top that I've had on camera and, and kind of hunted for the last three years and never killed. He disappeared on me this year during the pre-rut. He left in, uh, in uh, late October, I think it was, mid-October, and I thought he was dead. I thought he got killed during our muzzleloader season. And so I just kind of wrote him off as, as, as dead. And then I find his shed you know, out of nowhere during, you know, during shed season, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, obviously uh, I wouldn't have known that deer was still alive, but now I can kind of make plans because I know historically that deer spends time on the farm that I hunt in September and uh, part of October. And then he leaves for the rut and then apparently comes back during the late, late season. So I can make plans for that deer now. Cause I know what he does during the early season. I know what he does in, in September and October, uh, at least have a decent, you know, plan and, and put that in place now that way i don't have to go in there in june july august and potentially bump that deer and push that deer out right trying to prep for him later on
0: right yeah makes a lot of sense man and you know for me it's it's hard i i feel like there's really big shifts that happen on the farms that i hunt right september is the huge shift when early september is a huge shift late august when the velvet comes off they you know they get out of their bachelor groups and they redistribute and then come shed season you know my farm is once shotgun season hits my farm it is dead from that time on until they move back into wherever they went uh for the you know on the big ag to get some of that late you know the the winter scraps off of the ag fields and i found plenty of sheds in in this area and in 2018 on the buck that I killed there. I, I actually made a strategic decision to sit right in the middle on a terrain feature from, you know, if you were to draw a line from the last trail camera picture that I had of him to where I found his shed, this terrain feature was right smack dab on that line. And that's where I set up and that's where I killed him. So it's, uh, you know, do I feel that that it holds a lot of weight? No, but it can, if you are thinking about their, you know, their annual patterns or range and and whatnot.
1: Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I think it doesn't hold a lot of tactical value other than just verifying that that deer made it through the season. Um, you know, it, but at the end of the day, it's just fun Absolutely. For, you know, for a lot of people. And, and the main reason I'll be able to say this, the main reason that I shed hunt isn't necessarily to find antlers, you know, I'm it's the post-season scouting. There's a lot of stuff that kind of culminate for me anyway, during that shed hunting period. And I'm out there learning the properties and relearning properties. And it doesn't matter if I've hunted the place for, uh, 20 years or 20 days, you know, you know, the, for one season. I try to get out there and walk the entirety of each property that I hunt every postseason, every off right. season and whenever I'm shed hunting and I learn things every year, you know, be like, you know, I'll walk, you know, into this thicket or that thicket or walk over this hill or that hill. And I'll be like, Oh, I have never seen that. Or, Oh, I did not know that. And, and even still, even if you do know everything about a property, as you well know, deer are going to change slightly from year to year. Anyway, you know, there's going to be plenty of historical patterns that persist from season to season and from deer to deer, even, but you know uh, things can change so much from season to season especially um you know if environmental changes such as a tornado comes through and wipes out a, a, a patch of timber or lays a bunch of trees over just things can change you know right. as we as we all will know but uh, there's plenty of value there but the postseason scouting is the main reason I get out there. Finding sheds is a bonus, um, uh, but it's it's definitely fun. And I have found, even though I've only probably have two sheds from deer that I've actually killed in the last five years, um, I've found a, a a ton of antlers from target deer that we have yeah. chased. Yeah. So you know, you'll still find deer that you recognize and know. But it's uh, it's fun. It's for sure fun. But it's it's a lot of work, especially here in Kentucky. It's not quite, even though Kentucky rivals much of the Midwest as far as you know, top end Boone and Crockett bucks go. I think it's harder to find shed antlers here in Kentucky and Tennessee and some of those southern states. It's it's well, I shouldn't say harder but I don't think we find them in, in as uh, as big a concentrations as a lot of people do because we don't experience that the whole yarding uh, phenomenon, for lack of a better term. Uh, it's not really a phenomenon, but uh, we don't experience a lot of yarding here because of the inclement weather. Uh, our deer seem to kind of, even though they will group back up and bachelor back up, I don't see a ton of uh, huge, huge concentrations of deer in small, small pockets. Is that something that you all experience up there in Iowa?
0: oh give or take depends on the winter to be honest with you uh i will tell you this that the harder the winter the more sheds i typically find because of the grouping up uh, mm-hmm. on top on a food source right let's just say there's a lot of snow and ice over a winter over winter i will see that they're they group up and i'll find more sheds now mm-hmm. on a mild winter like this you know, I obviously I had one day where I really got lucky on a food source on a property that nobody nobody was on. Right. It's really good cover on this farm and there was water. So they had everything they needed and they just kind of hit this food source over and over and over again. And that's yeah. where I found the antlers. But typically, I mean, I've walked into in the in the past years. I mean, I've walked in and found 11 sheds in 45 minutes because yeah. of the the herding. Right, the the big groups, the the only food source that was available, and and uh, it, the the example that I have there is it was a couple years ago where we had ice, then we had snow, and there was only parts of the field that were exposed uh, because the sunlight would hit it. Anything else, kind of in shade or didn't melt. Right. So the deer were in like a five acre piece, just really hitting it right as antlers started dropping. And that's when I just cleaned house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those are the good days, you know, here in Kentucky. uh, I think this year because I use uh, a a tracking app and turn my tracks on uh to to record you know where i've been and, and the distance of me and i think this year i averaged around six miles a little over six miles per shed which is not a great year generally i'm somewhere around that three to four mile range but yeah. um you know uh, something that i like to do if i have permission and the circumstances allow like if i'm hunting by permission or if i've leased a property I'll make sure I have permission from the landowner, but I like to drive the open areas with an ATV, you know, fields, ag fields, food plots. Um, If it's a wheat field, I won't drive it because I don't want to track track down a wheat field this time of year, whenever it's, you know, really starting to shoot out of the ground, I'll walk wheat fields instead, but cut fields, cut corn fields, bean fields, stuff like that. I'll drive those. Um, But it's something that I like to use those tracks for. And it's, and when I started doing that, I started personally finding a lot more sheds. I, I, I grid off the properties as most shed hunters do and um hunt it down in sections but i like to grid search it like i'm grid searching for a deer but whenever i turn those tracks on i can pull that app back up and see that oh well i missed a spot and this year that's how i found my biggest shed i pulled up my app saw that you know where my tracks had been you know because i usually search a property even if it's a field even if it's a cornfield i'll search it in about 20 yard swaths so i'll go 20 yard you know take take a pass go over 20 yards take another pass and just zigzag back and forth and but i missed about an acre spot about a one acre spot in this in this big clover field that you know clover and wheat but and uh, went up there and checked that spot and boom there there the shed was so that's something that i've started doing the last few years and it's been pretty beneficial for me even though my, my, my shed hunting uh uh ratio uh, shed uh, shed per mile ratio wasn't as good as it typically is it still helped me find a lot of sheds this year and and definitely a lot in the past but uh it it can be difficult um and and i will say this it takes a lot of time and dedication to to, for serious shed hunters i know you're a serious shed hunter there's a lot of them out there but i I would say for the ones out there that get frustrated because they're not finding antlers um it's it takes time and it will it will be something that uh requires some serious dedication especially if you're not in prime prime areas with uh just great great uh, uh populations and dense populations of deer
0: yeah i feel you man i think uh i i had a trash can full of really small antlers all all the my bigger antlers i i have them displayed in my office here and i have another secondary trash can or if it's been chewed up i'll throw it in my flower bed in the front yard but Mm -hmm. i think i did the math of all the sheds that i have found throughout all the years i'm talking 15 years of, of shed hunting i'm looking at somewhere around I mean, I can't remember. It's either eight or it's 12 hours of walking per shed. Yeah. So that means there's a lot of days in there where I'm not finding anything. Right. Yeah. And I'm obviously my uh, my time spent shed hunting has gone down uh, tremendously since I've had kids. But, you know, regardless, it's fun and it's a good springtime activity to what I'm finding is the kids really like it right they they're really getting excited to get out there and uh you know i'll i'll put a couple small ones in my pocket and throw them uh, throw them on the ground and oh my god guys come over here i think this looks like a good area to find sheds and then they walk right over top of it they won't even look and then hey let's check this area but dad we were just there no i really think there's a shed here. <laughs> just, yeah. so and then they find it and they get all jacked up about it so um i love doing yeah. that with them that's great.
1: You know, a great point. Something I'll definitely keep in my hip pocket as a future dad, but you know, something else too, a great way to get non hunters out there, mm-hmm. uh, adult non hunters who might, you know, especially people who might have a negative perspective on, uh, hunting, you know, uh, if you're, you know, if you've been in conversation with somebody for, uh, weeks or months or days or whatever, uh, or if you've got that estranged family member who just can't believe that you're a deer hunter, you know, it can be kind of a great time to get on the field. Cause a lot of people, I think in, in my opinion, people who have a negative, um, thoughts on hunting, they just don't really understand it, you know, and, right. uh, you know, the, the kill is as you, we all know, you know, is a mi- extremely minute part of, uh, of the entire deal. So I think if people who didn't, who don't understand hunting, get out there and see, uh, all the things that actually culminate to to make it what it is, and, and shed hunting can be part of that. It's a great time to get them out there and say, "Hey, we're not just out here killing stuff, you know." Yeah. Uh, you know, that's. A, I think it's also another good opportunity to get people in the field who might not uh, have too good a uh, uh, or the right perception or the right uh, idea about the sport.
0: All right. So that's sheds. That's deer, but it's springtime. You know, we're coming up on April. When does uh, Kentucky's turkey season start?
1: Well, our youth weekend is April 4th this year, I think. Okay. Let me see here. April 4th, Saturday, April 4th, and then our regular season opens up April 18th.
0: Okay. So I know you're passionate about deer hunting. Where does turkey hunting land on your list of things you love to do in the outdoors?
1: well you know it, it's a close second you know if i had to pick one animal it would definitely be deer uh but uh turkeys are definitely a close second growing up i was a deer and turkey hunter and that's what i am now i like to get out there and chase a duck every now and then but but it's a duck let's be real so
0: it's <laughs> just a duck <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean to offend all of our duck hunters out there i'm sure there's plenty of people that feel the same way about deer and turkeys but uh but it's just just for my own personal uh you know flavors i like i like deer and turkey hunting and i'm pretty serious about both you know
0: I, i enjoy it awesome all right so do you get jacked up about turkey hunting season like you do opening day of you know bow season i mean is there a Is there a tradition that you have? Do you guys, do you have a turkey camp? Do you hunt solo? Do you um, do a lot of scouting for turkeys or is it more of a kind of just, I'll just kind of share my, my take on turkey hunting. It's turkey hunting. I typically buy my tag the week or the day before I go out, I walk into the woods, I'll call and I'll chase gobbles. I mean, it's really that simple for me.
1: Yeah, and it, and it really doesn't have to be any more complex than that. You know, I, just because I, I work from well, you work from home, I work from home, you know, so I, I do get house burnt occasionally because I do have a home office that I work out of um, professionally, you know. And, and so I do get out because I get house burnt. So, you know, once once I get really, really, you know, just stressed and tired of being in the house, I will get out in, in the first few weeks of April, and, you know, sometimes I'll get out, early, early of the morning at daybreak and listen for birds or, you know, late of an afternoon and listen for birds just to see where they're roosting that. But other than that, I don't do much scouting for turkeys. Um, in the past, a lot of something that I have done is just leave up my trail cameras because I generally pull my cameras down when I shed hunt. Yeah. Um, but some years I've left my cameras up, um, you know, into turkey season and that is kind of beneficial. I think t- trail cameras are underrated for turkeys. Um, uh, but it's not something I do with consistency or regularity. Um, most of the season I just go out, you know, usually I'll go to each farm, you know, before the season starts and I'll listen to get a count from how many birds I think are, you know, spending time on the property and that's it.
0: Right. Right. And so over the years, have you found like a a go to location where you're going to, you're going to start every year? Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you hunt from a blind or, or are you more of a running gun type?
1: Yeah, I, I I can't stand a turkey blind. I feel <laughs> you. know, you. I'm a I'm a running gunner. Nothing against them. Nothing. I I definitely think they have their place. People who like to bow hunt turkeys think blinds are great. People who are taking kids. Think they're absolutely great. Taking maybe uh, people who uh, have never turkey hunted before, especially elderly people or people who can't, you know, sit on the ground or something like that. If they have, maybe have a disability, I think the, the turkey blinds definitely have their place. Now, if it's just me out there on my own, though, I will not hunt out of a turkey blind just because I, right. I, I feel like you don't get the full experience. You know, it's 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 a blind. It's it's a two way thing. You know, they can't see you, and you can't see a lot of the environment. And, and a big thing for me in turkey hunt is just you know just being in the moment you know, hearing everything, seeing everything. And, uh, you know, I feel like that, uh, being inside a blind takes away a lot of that because you can't really, um, dive into the experience as much because again, it just restricts so much of your sight. So you can't really take it all in, but, but yeah, I'm definitely running gun guy for sure.
0: Yeah. I, um, I was raised a running gun guy. I think my very first Turkey hunt I ever went on was, 2001 I was in college and my uncle was like hey man you need to I want you to come turkey hunting with me and at that time I I had kind of fallen off the serious hunter wagon and I was more into the the girls and party you know type of deal and so I my uncle gets me back in and we we stay in this I th- it was. It's not even a cabin. It's like a storage shed that he built two bunk beds in. And that is what we slept in to, you know, the night before. And then we would drop down in off of a farmer's, uh, uh, the farmer let him put this shed up behind his barn. And we would drop down into this big piece of public ground up in north central Iowa. And turkeys were all over the place. And that very first morning, we would... You know, we'd walk to the edge of the timber, we'd just wait. He'd do an owl hoot, no response. All right. It's like, Well, let's let's just kinda work our way real slow down this this edge. Owl hoot, nothing. And then he started real soft hand calling, Sun's coming up, there, a gobble. There's another gobble. All right, so I'm following him. And I was just like a puppy right learning you know like learning from him watching him seeing what he was doing and the first couple of years of turkey hunting that's what i did and we were all over the place right just running running and gunning the entire all this public ground and it was so much fun and then i tried to transl or I, I tried to transition to bring my wife in that kind you know the running gun first time hunter and it was horrible. I mean, it was raining. The birds weren't responding. It was cold. It was wet. We crossed creeks. You know, I was doing all these things that I love to do. And then I finally realized, like, okay, I have got to get her into a blind or she is going to get burnt by this and she's never going to want to go hunting again.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, that's a great point. Great point. You know, I, you know to, to that point, talking about your uncle, you know, I think that's, the biggest distinction between deer and turkey hunting for me, you know, deer hunting is more of a, not always deer hunting can be a, a group thing, but, uh, uh, and and it is a group thing, but you know, for my family anyway, uh, you know, I've got several, three, three other family members that I hunt a lot with my dad, my grandpa and my uncle. Um, and we're just kind of, and, and I've got some cousins who hunt occasionally as well, but you know, deer hunting kind of a solitary thing for us. You know, we run a lot of cameras each year, we generally have about 15 target bucks or so on camera that you know we're we're going after and we kind of pick our targets and it's a solitary thing, and it's almost like a, comp, a friendly competition. It's like, okay, I'm going to get my target buck this year before you do that type of stuff, or my target, you know, I'm going to kill a bigger deer than you. You know, it really doesn't matter. It's not something that really holds any value to us, but it's just that friendly family banter back right. and forth that, that makes it fun, uh, that deer camp atmosphere. But, but you know, for us, you know, a lot of the times deer hunting is a solitary uh, endeavor, so to speak, because we're go- you know, going on our own here, going on our own there. I do spend a lot of time with them in the stand because i film for midwest whitetail so i will film them occasionally to film hunts uh but you know the turkey season is completely different it's a always a group thing you yeah. know we're always hunting at least in pairs and if we're not hunting in pairs we're hunting in three or four so that's the biggest difference for me you know and what i look forward to most from turkey season is each spring is hunting with them and getting in the field with them yeah
0: absolutely i uh I've killed enough turkeys in the last 20 some years to really, I I don't want, I love turkey hunting. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm to the point now where if, if I'm not going out by myself, I just, the only thing I care about is getting an opportunity to whoever I'm going with, right. Whether that's Mm -hmm. my wife, I'm pretty excited because I think this year I'm going to be able to go out and take my daughter out for her first. And she'll probably just, you know go along with me but uh mm-hmm. go out with uh, my daughter and try to get one to gobble real close and, or see him strutting right in front of a you know i'll put the blind up and whatnot but uh man i uh i i hate to say it but i don't necessarily care if i get one anymore you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just like i just love Going out and calling for people, or you know, maybe going out finding where they're roosting and then going and getting somebody else out on them. And uh, that's as far as turkey hunting. That's what I enjoy these days.
1: Absolutely, and, and really, you know, turkey hunting was meant to be a group sport. Uh, it, it can be fun on its own too. Um, right. I've killed a lot of turkeys with people and a lot of turkeys on my own, and by far and away the my most memorable turkey hunts were whenever i or somebody else killed a turkey in a group uh you know i put all all of my turkey hunts if i analyzed them all ranked them all that all of the ones where i killed a turkey or was was in the presence of someone else killing a turkey rank above me killing a bird uh that i killed on my own and and it's just it it, for me that's that group atmosphere is is key and and you know it's turkey hunting my opinion is the best or one of the best ways to get someone involved in the outdoors, oh, especially especially from the big game atmosphere. I still think the small game is the best first step. Uh, rabbits, squirrels, especially squirrels, I think that's still a, the best way to introduce somebody to the outdoors, but If you're just looking purely at the big game aspect of it, I think, and and of course, some people refer, you know, consider turkeys big game. Some people don't. But um, anyway, you know, I think that's the best way to get somebody in the outdoors just because it's so interactive. You know, it's not just a visual thing like deer hunting. Of course, you know, serious deer hunters know that deer are communicators as well. But, you know, it it takes more, uh, it's much more subtle. And and so turkeys are, you know, in your face, they're gobbling, they're strutting, they're doing this, they're doing that. So I think that's the best way to get people into the outdoors, especially for people that might be, you know, not, not that they're anti hunters, but you like, you you don't know for sure if they'll take to it or not, because, you know, they might get bored or this, that they're not going to get bored turkey hunting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and let's be real (laughs) for a second, like I'll find wall space for, a deer but i have i have fans on top of fans that are just sitting in a pile in my garage that i've i've mounted you know I, you know you you stuff the uh you stuff the the beard in a shotgun shell and you can you can mount the the fan in full strut and and you know hang it up but after a while there's so many i have i think i have like 10 fans Maybe two of them are hung up. The rest of them are just kind of in a pile. And I, I'm to the point now where I don't even know if I – I might collect the beard and stuff it in the shotgun shell and put a little string on it and hang it up with all my other ones. But as far as the fans are concerned, they're all kind of the same. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm the
1: same way. I've never uh, – I have never mounted a turkey. Uh, I have all of my beards in a box, and like you, I've I've got – turkey fans stacked out in the shed, you know, I, I do use them a lot for decoys and stuff like right. that. Uh, so they do get used, but I've never mounted a, a, or took a turkey to the tax N- nothing against those who do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say probably the only way that I would ever get birds mounted is if I someday killed, you know, the grand slam, which I haven't done. Yeah. I've killed a whole lot of Easterns, but I haven't got the grand slam so that, you know, someday, you know, that, that might be the only way that I would do it. If I, could, you know, got one of each of the four uh, primary subspecies, but, uh, but
0: yeah, I'm the same I'll
1: be, I'm, I mean, if I have to stick a deer head in the bathroom, we're getting it out. <laughs> you know, it's just it's, it's one of those
0: things. So let me ask you this, cause I've thought about going and chasing birds in another state, like the Merriams and the Rios and whatnot. Are you, is that something that you want to do someday is go chase the the different species in different locations?
1: Yeah, that's something that's on my bucket list for sure. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've never done it. Um, I've hunted quite a few States. I've hunted a lot of States for turkeys, but it's always been Easterns. Um, you know, I'd say the furthest West that I've killed a bird is Kansas. I killed a Kansas bird a few years ago, that's the Kansas and, probably the furthest west I've been to, to kill a wild turkey. I've killed a lot of turkeys in the Midwest and Southeast, but but no Merriams, no Rios, uh not don't have an Osceola yet. So yeah. You know, it's it's definitely on the bucket list.
0: Yeah. I think um obviously I wanna I wanna kill some of the other species, but one thing that I really want to do is go hunt turkeys in the mountains where you're, you're at some higher elevation and you're in with potentially elk and mule deer i think right. that would be a crazy a crazy turkey hunt
1: yeah I, for sure my the, the next one that i would love to kill um uh, the one i want to kill the most is definitely a merriam's you know there's just something about those white tips fans but I, I will say yes you know every year i make i make plans I make half-hearted plans. Okay, well, I'm going to kill one of the other subspecies next spring. And then I get to thinking about plans and and looking at my hunting budget for the year. And then whitetails always get in the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a fact, dude. I I, do that every year. I weigh my options. like, okay, I've been invited to go on uh, on a Merriam hunt. Well, I really want to go on this mule deer hunt. So I tell the turkey hunt. I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to sit to the side until my kids are old enough to take care of themselves. Then I can Mm -hmm. start going on, uh, you know, some more hunts in the spring. But right now I really have to watch not only the budget, but the time away from home because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to make my other half mad.
1: Absolutely. I get it. You know, and that's, that's, you know, I don't have kids yet, but, but, you know, I'm kind of in that same mind frame or frame of mind. Uh, It's just. You know, I, I love to turkey hunt, but I, I, I that's my goal. I always hunt at least three states for whitetails each fall. That's what I do. This this past season, it was Kentucky, Missouri, Ohio. I was fortunate to kill a buck in all three states and uh, also killed a doe here at home. Uh, but, you know, I try to hunt three at least three states each year. And then my fourth state that I usually hunt is in public land, Indiana, if I get done in time in the whatever other three states that I hunt, and generally the you know I, I always hunt Kentucky, always hunt Ohio, my third state's always uh, you know somewhere in the Midwest, for, you know, and then if I get done there, then I then I hunt Indiana as well, and it's just usually by the hunt time I hunt three or four states for whitetails. It's just you know you know the budget is shot for spring, the time thing is shot for spring, and I just try to stay home to to, to satisfy the family and satisfy. The work and uh it always gets pushed off but uh, but still it's it's
0: fun yeah so let's go talk strategy just a little bit because typically i'm i mean i don't know about you but i have a couple turkey hunting spots where It's almost automatic most years where if I didn't kill a a bird, I was really close to killing a bird on this specific ridge on this specific area as they come out, you know, come off the roost or whatever. You know, it's like over the years, I've hunted these farms uh, long enough to know where they're going to roost and where they're going to pitch down to. And I just get in the middle of that and I shoot them. Right. Almost almost that simple. Do you have a go to turkey hunting strategy?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I think a lot of the times when it comes to turkey strategy, I, for me personally, knowing a property is huge, knowing how birds behave. Uh, it's just like deer. Uh, you know, turkeys are going to use a property similarly to the way that whitetails do. And if you have, the, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have hunted a property for, for multiple years, you know what those birds are going to do. You know what time of day they're going to do it. You know where their strut zones are mid-morning and lunchtime whenever they quit gobbling you know you you figure out those little in- intricacies and little details of the properties and that's huge i think uh especially whenever di- the per- birds are henned up bad you know knowing where that bird wants to be instead of trying to make him come to you that's huge
0: yeah yeah that's uh that's big now let, let's let's uh take a, an example uh here where they're gobbling in the tree, you know, they pitch down and they shut up, right? They may be with hens, they may not be with hens, they're just, they're not responding that day. What's your approach from that point?
1: If they're not respond, go catch a fish.
0: <laughs> you just I, it's, i'm not even gonna go chase them i'm not i'm i'm just gonna go fishing i don't love it that much <laughs> no 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 I don't,
1: I, I don't mean that uh you know i still stay out there but again it you know if they're shut up and they're uh it, it depends on what where they are in the in the gobl- what gobbling phase they are what what point in the breeding season they are you know if it's getting to the point where they're if they're with hens all day long You know, and if you know the property well enough, you can kind of know what their patterns are. You know, it's almost like they have these cycles. Okay, well, they hit this pasture by 9 a.m. They hit that woodlot by 11 a.m., you know, and you kind of you kind of figure them out, especially if you have hunted the property for multiple years or if you have got out and done a little bit of preseason scouting. But, you know, get going where they want to be instead of trying to bring them to you is big. You know, something that I've had pretty good success with in the past um, is calling to the hens. I would say probably at least a quarter of the toms, well, a quarter of the hend up toms that I've killed in the past. You know, I didn't kill them because I got them hot, got them goblin, and brought them in. It was because I ticked off their girlfriend, brought her in, and then shot him in the face as a result of it. Yeah. So, you know, if you can get a hen to respond, just mimic her every move. That's what I do. If she yelps, you yelp. Whatever cadence she used, use that exact same cadence. That's what tip that I've used in the past you cannot you know I haven't you know every hen that I've called to I haven't gotten fired up so it just depends on what mood she's in too um, but if she's a dominant hen and she starts talking and you mimic her every move that's something that I've personally done in the past that I've had really good success with
0: yeah see I don't know man like I guess I don't take it serious, serious enough to follow along on any sh- type strategy. But if anything, I am a chronic over caller where I just keep calling and keep calling and keep calling. And if I'm not getting a response, I'll move and I'll call. I'll move and I'll call. I'll move and I call. I typically don't like if I've, if I've had a Tom respond to me and a lot of people say oh well, if he's responding you just shut up let him get real curious and then maybe even back up a little bit like you're and then call again and, and like you're working mm-hmm. away and maybe he'll get curious and come in but <laughs> i guess i'm just not into it enough to play that that big chess game if i if i know where he's at i'm going to be like i guess for me i'm more aggressive where i'll try to loop around him and
1: yeah and, i'm the same way i really him. am you know, the only time I generally, you, you know, do the whole sit and wait and play the chess games, if I'm taking somebody hunting who yeah. can't necessarily, doesn't have the maneuverability that I might have, but I'm exactly the same way. If that turkey's not talking and I don't think he's, you know, so a lot of times when a bird, if, especially if he's been hot and then he goes silent, that means he's either A, been spooked or B, he's coming. That happened yeah. last year. I took a guy, helped him get his first bird. I guarantee that that turkey probably gobbled. Well, there's two of them. There's a pair of gobblers. And they both gobbled. You know, if one gobbled, they both gobbled. And I would say they both gobbled 150 times in 45 minutes. But <laughs> eventually they just shut up. And then five minutes later, he was dead at our feet, you know. Yeah. So, you know, So but if they're just not talking at all that day, I'm the same way. I, I get impatient. Now, I will sit in a tree stand from an hour before daylight until an hour after dark. I've even sat in tree stands for three hours to four hours after dark because I had a big buck feeding in front of me, and I didn't want to get out of the tree stand and spooky. But when it comes to turkeys, if I've not heard a gobble within 15, 20 minutes, I'm up and gone. So (laughs) I'm the same way. But on those days, something that I generally do quite a bit, and even on good days, good gobbling days, I fan birds. You know, I'm not a purist. Hate me if you want, but I will fan a turkey in a heartbeat. And that helps me kill a lot of turkeys on those days where they aren't gobbling
0: so fanning them that's that reaping right where you'll crawl through and you'll throw a fan up in front of you and and try to get them to get aggressive and work their way in Mm -hmm. has that ever worked for you
1: oh lord i've ate a whole lot of turkey breast because of it
0: man i want to do that but (laughs) i feel i'm not small like i'm a little bit bigger than you and i feel like I need a bigger turkey fan to hide the, the rest of me, and I feel like the turkeys look at me and, and instantly know what's happening, right? I've, well, never, I've yeah. never had it to work, got it to work.
1: Well, we've had, it, it's, it's, it, it. I feel like, here's the thing, I've, I guess I, the first turkey I killed that way was probably back, it was about 10 years ago, and I think it's definitely, well, let me throw this out there before we get into that whole conversation too deep definitely taking the count safety measures it can be dangerous don't fan on public land don't fan on properties you share permission with people yeah uh and don't fan in heavy cover the only time i ever fan a turkey is out in the middle of a field if i catch them out in the middle of a field i'll fan them but i won't fan in the timber i won't fan in a, a thick what we would call a thick staging area for deer you know open ag fields open food plots those are the only places that i fan turkeys but I've had pretty good success, with. probably my favorite fan hunt was my dad and I were both, and he's he's bigger than I am. My dad and I were both crawling behind one fan, and we were out in the middle of an ag field. But here in Kentucky, bean fields, generally by turkey season, the vegetation is up about 9 or 10 inches high. So if you're laying and crawling across a bean field, You know, from a turkey's perspective, if somebody stood up on the edge of the field, oh, there's somebody laying out there. But from a turkey's perspective, they aren't tall enough to see, you know, somebody behind a tail fan because you've got the cover of that 10-inch high grass out in the middle of those. It's not really grass. A lot of it's, I don't don't even know what it is, but flowers and grass, the vegetation that grows up in bean fields. Because our season opens up later, you know, that vegetation is getting up. So we do a lot of fanning and cut bean fields because – you have that about 10 inches of cover. And so if you're laying down on your belly flat on the ground, crawling behind that fan, you know, they really can't see anything but that fan. So or at least the turkeys can. not So my favorite hunt was my dad and I, we crawled up to this, this little rise. There was a strutter right over it. He literally charged us. My dad unloaded all three shells. And by the time that turkey quit rolling, my dad could reach over and pick that bird up. The same <laughs> thing happened to me. The very first turkey I ever fanned, was in a wheat field and the exact same scenario happened that turkey charged me and i ended up shooting that turkey well unloaded all three shells and by the time he quit rolling he was two steps away so it, it definitely can work but there's certain some uh, circumstances where it doesn't doesn't
0: man i'm i'm waiting for i'm waiting for a youtube video called catch and release turkey hunting i don't know if maybe yeah. maybe you've seen it but some of these guys who are reaping turkeys get so close that they're actually able to grab it alive
1: yeah i saw actually it's funny you mentioned that i watched one on facebook last night of someone who crawled up and you've probably seen the same one but this guy crawled up to a decoy spread and there was about four or five strutting jakes around it and he grabbed the jake now i would do that i mean let me just say i would i would crawl up to a jake and grab the jake but I do not have a pair big enough to roll <laughs> up on a big tom with inch-and-a-half spurs. Uh, no thanks. No thanks.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, don't
1: have a pair big enough for that.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. Um, I, I've seen some turkey fights back in the day. And I – let's see, not last – man, it was like three years ago. The tom that I shot had a spur wedged in his, in his breast.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was mm. broken off in there, and I was like, "What? What is this? It looks like a like an infection." I popped it out, and it was the tip of another turkey spur. Yeah, buddy. Man.
1: Yeah, I don't want one of those in my noggin.
0: No, no, not at all. But uh, I
1: tell you, it's an adrenaline rush the whole the whole fanning deal. You know, I, I I will say any day of the week, I would rather sit up against an oak tree and call a bird and you know from 200 yards away and watch him strut down the gun barrel but it's a different kind of rush fan on me and it's it's really fun too as long as you do it in a safe manner
0: yeah you know like like you've said just right there one of my it's not my favorite i'm going to tell you what my favorite is my favorite one of my favorites is just like you said Watching from a long distance, just the dance, right? That you know you're calling, he's coming in. He's strutting the whole way, real slow and methodical, to the point where he gets within shooting range and you can shoot him, or you know, locating him in a tree and being able to see him in a tree, strut and, and gobble to your response, then pitch down and then work their way in. Those, those don't get me wrong, those are awesome. But my favorite absolute favorite and i'm actually getting the man chills right now talking about it is when you're you're calling at a tom and he's not responding but then all of a sudden you hear the boom boom and you yeah. hear the tips of the wings uh dragging in the leaves and he's behind yeah. you and he's so close that you can hear him uh drumming oh man i tell you that gets me fired up almost more than anything i mean I've had an elk bugle probably at about 40 yards and it's one of the most intense moments that I've ever had out in the woods. And I would put this, that it's not an, a drum and the tips dragon is not loud, but it's something that you can almost feel it's a vibration. Mm -hmm. And if they're close enough, man, that get, that gets me fired up, man.
1: Right in in your chest.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can hear it. And it's almost like, man is, what is that? Because you never know what it is. Is it someone got their speaker like pumping bass from a car a <laughs> long ways away, and then and then you can just hear it. Boom! Oh man, I tell you what, that gets me fired up. Now we could sit here and we could chit chat about uh, strategy all day long, but the other the other thing I like to do in the springtime is and it's awesome if they match up i've only had a couple seasons really where the turkey hunting and the mushroom hunting have matched up perfectly where i can you know go chase some turkeys and then in the afternoon when it gets dead i can go look for morels or grays do are you a mushroom hunter at all
1: i really i'm really not i love to eat them uh i've i just don't pay attention i guess because honestly a lot of times whenever i'm turkey hunting i'm turkey hunting but uh, right you know right there in the the subconscious of my brain whenever i'm not looking for a turkey while turkey hunting i'm looking for an antler shed so i usually yeah. don't see them i'm i'm not the guy who usually finds the morels i love to eat them yeah. love to eat them and i would love to find more of them and usually cuz i'm always hunting at turkeys in a group you know i'm i'm never the guy who finds the mushroom the mushrooms the morels <laughs> i'm always the guy who sees that turkey first or usually the guy who sees that turkey first cuz i'm i'm blessed with pretty good vision uh, really good vision actually. And, uh, so I usually, I'm usually the guy who sees the turkey first or the antler shed first, but I am never the guy who sees the morale mushroom three feet in (laughs) front of my face.
0: Oh man. I tell you, I don't know what it is about the, the looking for things, right? The, just like, just like Turkey and deer hunting, right? We're, we're looking for something, but shed hunting, I'm looking for something. And when I find it, I get excited. Same with a mushroom right I'm looking for it and once I find it I get I get fired up and me me and the wife have over the years found a couple pockets of mushrooms and I'm not I'm not talking about like fill five gallon bucket up and take it home and you know or a, the bed of a truck up and, and take it home but enough for maybe three or four meals in in the spring and and uh, man it's I I, I I don't I not only love the eating portion of it but I just love that's like a me and my wife thing we don't take the the kids out or we haven't yet but it's a me and my wife thing where we can go out and do something together and leave the kids with grandparents or a babysitter or something like that because my wife really enjoys mushroom hunting because from from a non-hunter standpoint right I think aside from turkey hunting going out and looking for mushrooms are can be really you know, it can also be that step into getting someone more involved in the outdoors.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, and and like I said, I don't actively get out there and uh, hunt for morels, but I can see where it would definitely be a great opportunity to get out there and enjoy
0: it. Yeah. One thing about, you know, I, I don't know about you, but someone will tell me they'll share where they shot a big buck. They'll share where they shot a turkey. Mistake number one. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they, they will share that info. But if I talk to a mushroom hunter and I'll be like, "Hey, mate, oh, that's great. You know, where did you, where did you find them?" Or most of the time, a deer or a turkey hunter will say, "Well, I, I got it in this county and I shot it at this farm and whatever this drainage or whatever." But getting information out of a mushroom hunter, no way. It, it, it does not happen. People do not share. That information—it's crazy. I mean, I feel like they're more tight-lipped about that than uh, turkey and deer or other big game.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a ginseng hunter. They, I tell you, anybody who's got sang secrets, they lock those uh,
0: <laughs> deep inside
1: the vault. The vault inside the vault. You
0: know? Right. I uh, uh there. I don't know the joke. I'm not even going to attempt to uh, um, uh, attempt to tell it. But there's a there's a joke in Iowa where this old lady. Uh, the uh there's a will right and the will did not have the, the spot where her mu- the mushroom where she would go mushroom hunting and the son was trying to like doc reviver we need those we, we need to find where the mushrooms are mm-hmm. at and uh so that's how tight-lipped people are they take it to that you know they'll take that information to the grave but man i tell you what there's something about about spring shed hunting obviously uh when it's good turkey hunting obviously uh, mushrooms are a big thing. Do you get out and fish at all? You
1: know, I'm, i I love, I love to fish. I really enjoy fishing. Uh, I don't get out and enjoy it as much as I, I, you know, or don't get out and enjoy it as much as I'd like to simply because, you know, I'm a, I'm an outdoor communicator, outdoor writer, photographer, videographer. So I spend a ton of time, in, you know, in the outdoors in the fall and winter. And, but, but even though I spend a lot of time in the outdoors, you know, in the field, there's a ton of work in the office too and so you know i don't get as much time to fish in the spring and summer as i would like uh but i still do get out there and enjoy it from time to time
0: amen amen well mr josh honeycutt i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and chit chat with me today uh good luck chasing gobblers man
1: yeah thank you and maybe maybe a dog turd won't get in the way of us (laughs) talking next time (laughs) okay
0: all right all right you brought that up so now we have to tell the story Right. So, <laughs> so so we uh we had been trying to communicate back and forth, back and forth. And finally, we have a day a couple of days ago where I'm just like, all right, finally, we got a time scheduled and I call you and you're not answering. And I'm just like, oh, man, call him, not answering, call him, not answering. And then I get a hold of you and now you got to take it from here.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we, we were scheduled to talk at nine o'clock, right? It was nine a.m. Yeah, nine a.m. That was the time we were supposed to talk. And you know, I was like, okay, you know, I was, I was looking at the phone. Is like 8:55. Got to call him, or he's gonna call in five minutes. You know, I'm ready. I'm sitting here at my desk, good to go. And then, around I don't know, sometime between sometime between 8:55 and 9 a.m. had to have been because, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't there before. So it obviously happened within that five minute window. So my 10 pound multi-poo dog leaves the biggest pile of crap <laughs> that i have ever seen come out of a cat-sized dog right there by the desk and i did not know it was there i didn't know it was there well i accidentally knocked my phone off and this is going to sound like the biggest dog ate my homework story in the world but it's it's too stupid to even fabricate or make <laughs> up so i knocked my phone off and it lands in this pile of dog crap and you, you, you know all right so let me, let me you've been setting in a tree stand or you've been sitting on the ground or you've been scouting on a cold, crisp November morning. And you come across or see a big pile of butt poop. Yeah, And it's fresh. And it's like 15 degrees out there. And the steam is just rising off of that pile of crap. <laughs> That's what this dog crap looked like. And of course, <laughs> when I knock my phone off, it lands right <laughs> in the middle of it. Hey, so I spent the next 10, 15 minutes <laughs> digging out feces from every orifice <laughs> of my phone and so you know we didn't get to talk until like nine fifteen or or so and, and you know it's honestly it's because I didn't want to put multi-poop poop inside of my ear that was the main reason
0: <laughs> I, And it was funny because I'm like hey man uh you ready yeah man I'm really sorry I dropped my phone in dog poop I'm like <laughs> what like, it took me a while and i was like i, I was getting ready to call bullshit i'm like nah dude, you just forgot you, you just forgot <laughs> but now i believe you no no seriously like I, if
1: i forgot i would have just told you i forgot but uh, that, that, that is legit what happened and and uh, I, I told my wife about it because of course you know we've all been under quarantine for and everybody having to stay at home. So she was home and she was like, I was like, my phone just fell in dog crap. And she's like, bull crap. It did not. It did not. I was like, come in here and look at it. Come, come see
0: it. If you want <laughs> smell it, smell it. Yeah. Come smell it. You know, it
1: smells <laughs> like the back end of your dog, you know, but,
0: uh, uh yeah, but now we got it. That'll never, never happen again. Amen. Amen. Well, Hey, Hey Josh, man, I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you have a phenomenal show.
1: Uh, One of the best out there, and I just appreciate the opportunity.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout-out to Josh for hopping on and chatting with us today. Huge shout-out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Prime Archery, Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and Vortex Optics, and the average conservationist please go out and support the companies that support this podcast they could really use your help right now just like any small business or any business in general let's keep that uh, market alive other than that hopefully everybody has a a great time get outside if you can and uh, I'm going to tell you right now we're going to end this episode with my son making noise and walking out of the room but before he did he wants us to end this episode With a little message. I love their antlers. Get outside and have fun.